Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Uh, just a few days ago, I uh, was driving along and the um, local uh, fire brigade was uh, burning off um, to um, as part of their hazard reduction uh, program. And the smoke, of course, was drifting across the road. And... I um, I breathed this smoke in. You could and you could smell the um, uh, you know that the the smoke there was it was quite strong, and uh, it was only for a small section, and and I'd driven driven through, but it reminded me that um, you know we breathe uh, constantly while we're alive, and we're taking in uh, all sorts of dust and bacteria that are just floating around, um, viruses um, and particulates. Um, often you'll uh, be driving a, a, a behind a, a diesel vehicle and um, they'll accelerate or change gears or something and there'll be a puff of black smoke come out. Um, and, of course, in, in city areas, uh, diesel particulates and particulates from vehicles have uh, you know, been in the airways. And so there's, uh, particularly in cities, there can be industrial pollution from different chemicals, uh, residues that are released into the, the atmosphere and so forth. And not only that, there's, there's dust, um, I've been, you know, driving in desert areas where there's been um, a lot of dust, and often dust just from the the vehicle in front uh, on gravel roads and um, on outback roads, and and inevitably we might try to keep this uh, dust out of our vehicles by, you know, putting the air conditioning uh, on um, with the fan going to generate a positive pressure with inside the vehicle, but. Inevitably, we do breathe in the dust, and it's it's amazing how um, you know when you think over over a lifetime, our our lungs don't you know fill up. Obviously, we do age, but you know with all this material, really, um, it's amazing to me the mechanism that keeps our lungs clean. And one of the things that again when we're taught the theory of evolution in uh, our schools, colleges and universities. We you know, hear about um, you know, fish evolving into amphibians, the change from um, gill systems to lung-type systems, this sort of thing. And we talk about this, you know, that, that evolved, there were small mutations. But the amount of chemistry and the amount of design that goes into just something like the lungs and um, our breathing apparatus. And I've talked about this recently, but one of the fascinating things, again, when we drill down, we've got the you know, basic structure of our lungs, but within our lungs we have this cleaning mechanism that involves these hair-like uh, projections that we called cilia. Now, the structure of these cilia is again extremely complex. And so 
not only do we have this design, this amazing breathing system of our lungs where we, you know, exchange oxygen, it's, um, you know, captured by uh, haemoglobin circulating in blood, so we get this diffusion between the oxygen in the air that we breathe in, uh, diffuses through this mechanism into our bloodstream. Once uh, there, it's picked up and carried by haemoglobin and... um, and so we've got, you know, all this complex chemistry that underpinned that that I talked about recently. Uh, but also, again, we've, as I said, we've got these other structures that involve cleaning the lungs, for example. And then when we look at the mechanism for cleaning the lungs, within that mechanism itself is a huge amount of design. And to me, this just points to an amazing creator that's been able to think of all these requirements. You know, if our lungs weren't cleaned, we wouldn't really last very long. We, w- we would die quite quite quickly. And so the evolutionists claim, oh, well, there were mutations produced, but the complexity of the mutations that would be required to produce these machines that um, – operate these cleaning mechanisms are just so involved and designed and really their design is in my view you've got to use the word awesome to think of the intricacy and the way they work so efficiently and effectively Um, and in fact there was a paper published in uh, 2023 in the prestigious journal Nature, and it's anyone wants to look it up, it's in Nature, volume 618, pages 625 to 633. So quite a large article. And, of course, Nature is probably the top cutting-edge scientific research journal or science research journal in the world. And uh, this is by um, T. Walton and a number of other authors, and it's called Axonomal, Structures reveal the mechanoregulatory uh, and disease mechanisms. And this is about um, the, uh, these axonal structures that actually make up these hair-like uh, projections. And um, so these little hair-like projections beat back and, and forward and they actually push mucus along uh, along with bacteria and particles that are stuck to the mucus, they actually push them out of our lungs. And so we have this, this uh, mucus lining, as I mentioned before, over our airways, but it moves, and it's moved by this mechanism of these little hair-like projections um, that uh, push it out. Now, these little hair-like projections are powered by one of the largest known molecular machines. It's um, called an axome, uh, spelled A-X-O-N-E-M-E. And this is so large and complex that its intricate design and inner workings have actually puzzled scientists for a long time. And that's why it's only in 2023 that it's really its structure has been revealed. So, for, you know, there was a, 
a paper published, for example, in the Annual Reviews of Physiology back in 2015, um, again, um, on the uh, cilia, and if anyone wants to look up, uh, it was volume 77, pages 379 to 406. Again, a major uh, review uh, article uh, of uh, over uh, 27 pages in length. And um, as I said, it's, for a long time, scientists have been trying to work out how these machines actually worked. Uh, what was their, their structure? And of course now, and that's why this paper was published in Nature, um, they've uh, worked this out. And I guess the whole point that I'm trying to get across is there's enormous complexity in these structures, but they're just not random complexity. They function like a machine where you have all the different parts and the parts are necessary to make the other parts work. They all work uh, synchronistically together. They um, are part of a machine. And if all the parts are there, the machine isn't going to work properly. And uh, so again, for such complexity to arise by chance mutations and then be assembled. Not only do you have to have the parts, not only do you have to have the molecules, not only do you have to have the chemical molecules as well as the structural molecules, but you've got to assemble them. And the chemicals have to be in the right place at the right time and their receptors have to be in the right place. The concentrations of the chemicals that uh, produce the changes in the mechanisms um, and stimulate the different chemical reactions that um, provide the energy and so forth um, all have to be just at the right concentration. They've got diffused there at the right rate. They have to be, you know, assembled in the cell at the right time, at the right rate, and in the right order, or it isn't going to work. And as our young people are taught that all these things have evolved by natural, simplistic mechanisms. It just blows my mind that this continues to be taught to our young people, that these amazing structures, and as I said, we, I'm just looking, looking and talking now about the little hairs that are in our respiratory system compared to all the other amazing mechanisms that are in our body and structures and that have similar complexity, and that's just in us humans. And whether you're looking at beetles or a butterfly or a bear or, you know, or a, a, a bass fish, they're all got these amazing structures and they're different, but they all work. And they're all programmed by a code which is written in a language, and as you know, I've pointed out many times, this language is what we talk about an apple, is A-double-P-L-E, it's a code, the letters don't look anything like an apple, or if I was talking in Latvian, wanted to talk about a fish, you use the word zivis, Z-I-V-I-S, those letters don't look anything like a fish, but they're a code that's got to be translated. The DNA code has to be translated by the ribosome, uh, which then takes the pro- reads the code, assembles the proteins according to the code um, instructions, and um, and we have these structures formed. And so, this continual teaching of this fallacy of evolution really needs to be addressed and it needs to be addressed as a community effort. It needs people to write into educators 
and um, and say, look, you know, th- this is wrong as we're continually being taught this. It's absolutely impossible. And hence, you know, I put out my book, Evolution Impossible, 12 Reasons Why Evolution Cannot Explain the Origin of Life on Earth. You know, and that's available through, you know, most bookshops, Amazon, Booktopia and so forth. And there's the program on uh, 3ABN television, Evolution Impossible. So if you Google um, 3ABN Australia, .org.au, go to the television button and scroll down through the programs there. There's um, Evolution Impossible. Uh, Again, many years ago, I wrote to scientists around the world who believed in creation and asked them to explain why they chose to believe in creation. That became the book In Six Days, Why 50 Scientists Choose to Believe in Creation. And that's been a strong seller on Amazon now for over, um, uh, for nearly uh, 25, well, uh, it came out in 1998, I think. So it's still selling strongly nearly 25 years later. And so, and again, that's free. The whole book is free uh, now on creation.com. So if you just uh, Googled creation.com, went into their search engine and entered in, in six days, written in words, uh, preface, um, the, um, the, that uh, page will come up and down the left side will be a list of names of all these doctorate qualified scientists and you click on a name and it'll give their reason. Some of the, and it lists there some of the top scientists in the world um, in their fields. Um, and so people need to be drawn to the attention that it's absolutely impossible for some blind random mutation mechanism to cause changes in the DNA code to then and these changes in the code actually describe these new structures. You know, it took an international team of researchers and they used breakthroughs in artificial intelligence, in microscopy, to actually determine the atomic structure of a significant portion of um, the, uh, the axonomy. Uh, this, which is this central tubal structure of the cilia. So this it wasn't just one science, but it was a team of scientists using the latest scientific techniques to try and understand the structure. It's so complex and large. And it was interesting. I found that it consists of tube-shaped fibres arranged in a highly organised pattern which are covered, now these fibres themselves are covered with a complex array of machines like an ordered factory four. And these machines actually grab and pull on the neighbouring fibres in response to signals received at precise times to bend the axonomy uh, back and forth in a rhythmic wave-like motion. And it's interesting, the study revealed many other components that use these sophisticated mechanisms to precisely regulate the motion of the axonomy. And the complexity and sophisticated, uh, you know, sophistication of this structure, to me, clearly reveals a brilliant design engineer, and that would be our creator, Jesus Christ, that the Bible reveals. 
And um, again, as I said, um, those people want to look up and read, in actual fact, the details that were published in Nature in, uh, earlier in 2023. Um, the volume is 618 pages, 625 to 633. You know, when we look at the human airway, um, and um, with it, um, you know, from the trachea down to uh, all the little alveoli, all the little, you know, fine um, uh, airways that we have uh, that make up our lungs that cover, you know, about 25 square metres in surface area. And um, even, the, even that structure itself has four major cell types, um, including um, you've got the uh, cilia cells, you've got secretia cells, and you've got, you know, base cells, um, and the um, uh, basal, uh, these basal cells actually um, uh, make the new cells, the progenitor cells, um, re- responding to when the, the cells die. So this, the other amazing thing, of course, is that these cilia, um, yeah, a self, um, uh, well, uh, are repaired, are replaced. They're not self-replacing, but they're replaced by these basal cells. And um, these um, uh, cilia have all these, as we're talking about, little microtubules and little arms, um, and they provide uh, motility, which is driven again by this organic compound for that provides energy in living cells, uh, adenosine triphosphate (ATP). So again, this again we've got this complex chemistry that provides the um, the uh, energy to actually move these cells, which is just happening automatically. We don't consciously move that mucus out, but it's constantly moving out, and it's cleansing our airways of these inhaled particles and pathogens that come in there that would otherwise be uh, very harmful. And these um, ciliated and uh, secretory cells are the first line of defence against inhaled pathogens. There's a number of things, ways that this happen. There's tight junctions linking the cells that provide a, a physical barrier. Um, and then there are receptor cells that sense... Um, the environment uh, signalling in the cells to st- uh, and then they go on to secrete defence-related molecules uh, in response to these pathogens and uh, particulates and also um, foreign bacteria, xenobiotics uh, that have come in. And so, again, we've got this whole mechanism. You've got uh, equipment where we've got receptors and those receptor cells send signals. Those signals then uh, secrete molecules that help deal with and respond to these uh, pathogens um, in the mucus. And, of course, the mucus layer itself helps uh, move them uh, out and helps clean the airways continuously. They're continuously being cleaned. So um, 
it's to me this is a you know a, a total system that is set up that is essential to protect us. And you know, and when we talk about oh yeah, lungs evolved and this sort of thing, we're, you know, just this big picture thing, it doesn't really capture the amazing complexity um, of these structures and the chemistry that is involved in uh, producing the uh, molecules. Um, it's interesting too, of course, that um, the uh, effectiveness of this, uh, what they call a mucocilia escalator. So again, because what happens is these, um, these little cilia and the little mucus layer that's on top of them is continually pushed in one direction. It's sort of like an escalator. And, you know, as an escalator sort of carries on, so the mucus that traps the bacteria, those dust particles, the smoke particles, the diesel particulates, these sort of things, are trapped on this mucus layer and then as these little hairs move backwards and forwards, they sort of push it up. Each one pushes it over the next one, then the next one pushes it over the next one, the next one. So that layer of mucus is just continually carried as if it's going up a, an, an escalator. And that's why scientifically it's referred to as the mucociliary escalator. But... Um, it depends on hydration, so making sure that we drink uh, plenty of water and uh, also the, uh, the type of mucus that is produced by the secretory cells. And, of course, if there is a dysfunction in the way these cilia operate, and remember they've, they've got a bend and the little motors and machines that bend them, um, it's, it's an amazing structure. It's very difficult to describe um, the complexity of this structure without without diagrams. Um, it's interesting that the um, percentage of uh, the ciliated cells increases with airway branching. So in a main trachea, um, it's about um, uh, 47% of the surface uh, is covered with these cilia. But when we get down into the very fine uh, areas, about 73% of the small airway um, is covered with these uh, little hair-like uh, cells. And uh, these are what they call ciliated cells, uh, or cili- sorry, ciliated cells, um, uh, have uh, all these little cilia coming out of them. And there's, you know, from two to 300 of these little cilia hair-like per cell. Uh, on the internal surface, and these um, uh, in the order of 0.2 to 0.3 of a micrometer in diameter, and about six to seven micrometers in length. So there's uh, amazing uh, structures uh, there as well, and um, again the cilia are divided into different types of cilia that in in the structure. Uh, two main types. So there's some that are um, uh, immotile and some immotile, some, and um, always um, we have these cells, of course, uh, not only in our um, lung airways, but you know, in the whole respiratory system, um, the, the sinuses. And also, of course, um, Cilia type cells are found in many other parts of the uh, of the body as well. 
Now, the cilia assembly begins with the formation of the uh, basal um, transcription factor, um, uh, which is uh, called 4K uh, box J1 or Fox J1. And the cilia assembly begins with the formation of the basal body uh, from the centrosome, and which migrates to and docks on the cell surface. And the basal body um, has a special microtube structure and a cartwheel is embedded in a uh, pericentralar material um, and anchored to the plasma me- membrane by transition fibres. Um, so just you know, reading about the structure of how this uh, um, particular um, structure, cilia structure, forms um, is you know really complex. The microtubule doublets arise from the inner two microtubules of the base body of the microtube trip of the base um, or body microtubule triplets and extend from the basal body and form the cilia membrane by pushing out extension of the plasma membrane. And um, I could go on reading uh, this um, uh, that uh, this uh, uh, description um, in the research paper of how the um, cells uh, form. Um, and it's, you know, extremely uh, complex. Um, one of the things is there, there's uh, the trans, it talks about the transport of proteins that are synthesized in the cells um, and um, they're moved as uh, particular particles by kinesin 2 motors from the basal body to the ciliary tip. And so this is, I guess, another aspect of this is I'm just reading down through this uh, review paper now, um, is the assembly of these cilia. Um, they've got to be assemble, uh, assembled and you've got uh, little uh, machines that actually carry the different components and assemble them. Um, and um, they're, uh, the, uh, yeah, it's just amazing in complexity. It would be difficult for me without a diagram and pointing out and there's um, a lovely big coloured diagram in this uh, particular paper that was uh, published in the um, in the journal uh, the annual reviews of physiology um, in 2015 volume 77 um, pages 379 to 406. Um, again, just reading these uh, through the paper now, um, it's. Um, just uh, amazing. The authors go on in one section to say that analysis of the cilia isolated in vitro generated um, human airway affiliate cells um, and they identified over 200 different types of proteins um, in the uh, exomal. Um, and so we can see the uh, complexity when you look at the just the chemistry of the structures that make up these particular components. This complexity clearly, in my mind, points to the Creator, the Creator described in the Bible. And that's why I think it is it's so important that we uh, come to know God our amazing creator, because he offers us salvation 
and a hope for eternal life. You've been listening to Faith and Science. And if you want to re-listen to these programs, remember, you can Google 3abnaustralia.org.au and click on the radio button and on the listen button. Remember to tell your friends about uh, these programs too on your social media pages. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 